You're listening to Jane O'Leary's Unfolding Soundscapes, a recent commission for piano and orchestra for Finneen Collins and the National Symphony Orchestra, marking the 40th anniversary of Music for Galway. This is Amplify, the podcast on new Irish music from the Contemporary Music Centre. I'm Jonathan Grimes, and on this week's show, we feature a conversation with Jane O'Leary about this piece and her work. I'm joined once again by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi Yvonne. Hi Jonathan. So before we hear from Jane O'Leary, you were in Belfast last month where you attended a concert as part of the Nightwit series. Tell us about this. Yeah, it was a great pleasure, Jonathan, to attend Matthew Whiteside's The Night With in the Green Room, which is a small, cosy performance space in the Black Box venue in central Belfast. And it's really the perfect venue for this informal performance atmosphere that Matthew Whiteside uh, wants to create with this series, The Night With. And this series has been going for a good many years now in Scotland, where Matthew is based. He has been based in Scotland for for many years, and he is originally from Bangor in the north. And uh, this The Night With was uh, with the Robinson Panoramic Quartet directed by Maliki Robinson on the double bass and it's that really unusual combination of violin, viola, cello and double bass. Apparently Rossini used it a lot and liked that combination quite a lot so who are we to argue? And there was a feast of great music from composers from Ireland in the programme. A world premiere of a new commission from David Fennessy and earlier works from Jen Kirby, Sebastian Adams, Matthew Whiteside himself and the programme closed with Raymond Dean's Quadripartita from 2014. And this mini tour continued um, returning to its usual venues in Edinburgh and Glasgow bringing these Irish works to our Celtic cousins in Scotland. So let's hear from David Fennessy, one of the featured composers in the concert alongside Matthew Whiteside now. Dealing with the bass is really the first issue that comes to mind and actually it becomes a kind of constant presence in the piece and certainly in the way that I approached it, that the bass has definitely has a soloistic role, I think, at times. I mean, I think some of that's due to Maliki's personality as well as a player and a kind of uh, virtuosity that I know is there. So there's a kind of, uh, you know, there's something to to access there and knowing well three of the players I know quite well already but um, and so kind of being aware of the personalities that are there and stuff so it felt um, like I was really writing for uh, for people 
rather than anonymous instruments. There's definitely some folk music elements appearing in some of my pieces. And, you know, I've lived in Scotland for more than 20 years now, so it's kind of natural that some of that music comes from there too. I think when I was researching, really for years, a piece that I made the year before last called Aberdeen with my partner Sonia Cromarty, a lot of it was to do with Orkney and the Orkney Islands. And one of the things I was, I kind of sometimes get really hung on these old interviews with people. Um, And there was an interview with a man called Norman Norkey who was describing a time that he saw a mermaid. And it's a beautiful, beautiful interview with the sound of a fire crackling. I think it was taken in the 1960s, um, a kind of uh, archive recording. And sometimes I get kind of uh, very uh, slightly obsessed with these. So I started to notate the sound of the crackling in the background. Some of the violins are doing a kind of a scrunchy thing there. And some of the people listening are going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you actually hear that also in little bits. And it's just a beautiful document. But halfway through it, he started singing an air as well. And so that's kind of notated as well. But it's slightly misremembered and he hesitates and stuff. And I just thought it had such a beautiful, slightly melancholic and half-forgotten, half-remembered quality to it. A bit like the story he was telling. One of the other movements is called uh, Slate Song, and it's based on an air that comes from the Isle of Seal, which is in the east of uh, Scotland. And it actually was a slate mine, and it's where actually a lot of the slates form the roofs, the houses in Scotland all, all come from this one mine. And years ago, I'd actually thought it would be cool to write a piece for, for like all of like loads of slates because they all have, make these beautiful sounds. Part of that became this movement which is also a, a deconstructed setting of a, an air that comes from there uh, on Rian Aline, like the, the, the brown haired girl and actually that's dedicated to two pals of mine Kate and Aidan and Aidan comes from there so uh, it was uh, it's kind of a wedding present a bit uh, in the middle of the piece but this kind of I have lots of these kind of recordings that it's sometimes I'm not sure why at the time that I become really attracted to them and I know that there's kind of tissue that connects them in a way to do with place or kind of memory a lot of the time um, or a kind of a special kind of feeling And so a lot of my stuff, especially when I'm trying to find melodic material, sometimes will start by like addictively listening to something else over and over again. But usually it's an interpretation, a particular interpretation of a tune or a recording that has got some strange artifact quality. So all of these things make their way also into the kind of so I'm not just doing a kind of a setting of the tune but also somehow the scenery as well is also in the setting as well and what the instruments are doing and the way that they the way that they play and it's a lot of uh, cross string material I'd like to think it's like a hyper transcription where you do it so accurately that you kind of really get into the tiny details of phrase and color and then I start to be able to kind of move away from the original towards hopefully some good string music. Uh, uh. 
The Night With started in Glasgow in 2016. The whole point of The Night With is to try and tour the same programme of contemporary classical music into as many venues as possible and give a life to the premieres that are in each of the programmes, the commissions that are in each of the programmes, and just to create a more relaxed listening environment. So the concerts themselves are in three 15 to 30 minute thirds. Uh, rather than the normal concert halves, which means that people have more of a chance to get up, get another drink, have a chat, and then listen to some more music. It also means that it's more of an event, because it's more of a social occasion than a concert, even though it is very much a concert. So that's one of the biggest reasons why, over the pandemic, I didn't put stuff online. At this point, The Night With does have a semi-regular audience of people that come back and it's kind of a core somewhere in the region of 10 to 15 people that I see coming back regularly and then a more floating audience. The largest concert we've had was 102 in a venue similar to the size of the one last night and it was standing room only but it was a basement venue of a pub and it was getting to the point where I was going hang on there's a queue out the door of people buying tickets am I going to have to start turning people away? Yeah. Um, how how did you feel listening back to it now after after nine years of living with it? I think with that piece it was interesting because I remember writing it and trying to develop very specific things within my writing. It opens up with a repeating three four bar phrase in the double bass that just repeats for about two minutes and then everything kind of develops from that, which then builds into kind of glisses, which actually are a huge part of my work at the moment and a bit of a crazy middle section before dying away into kind of stillness. It still feels like my music, but does feel like an earlier version of my music where I was still trying, well, I'm still trying things, but there's bits where I'm going, okay, that works, I can pull that out longer, like that stasis at the end. I think if I'd rewritten that piece now, it would be 15 minutes because the ending would have just lingered for longer and the opening might have, sorry, the middle bit might be a wee bit more... um, tumultuous. Everything that I do is interconnected. It's all about promoting music in some way, be that music of mine or be that music of other people's. The Night With, everything that Night With does, is framed in a way of what would I want my music to be presented as, as a composer. So that's why the touring elements, that's why now all the concerts are recorded live and we're starting to release the night with live volume, we're up to volume two at the moment, but there's probably volume four in the works, and why the call for scores has expenses paid for from the composers, the composers are expected to come along to the workshops and all get a concert recording, and then one of them is premiered. So it's it's all about what I think of as good practice for organisations to do for composers. And then my own work as as a composer is helped by having a platform like The Night With now, but I make sure to not include my music all the time. So there is a balance of 
people know the night with is me, but they don't expect to hear my music every time they come along to the night with. I've been described as being quite entrepreneurial quite a number of times, and I think that's true, uh, because I'm just trying to develop the income streams for my business. And my business is art. Matthew Whiteside, and before that, David Fennessy. Next, we hear from composer Jane O'Leary, and Yvonne Jane has been a constant guiding presence in music in Ireland for well over 40 years, and this piece, Unfolding Soundscapes, in a way recognises some of this contribution. Yeah, this new large-scale work from Jane O'Leary for Piano and Symphony Orchestra was a commission to celebrate 40 years of Music for Galway and Music for Galway's Grand Piano. Not so many good grand pianos around in Ireland 40 years ago for concert making and Jane O'Leary was part of a group of like-minded music enthusiasts who were instrumental in not only founding Music for Galway to establish regular classical musical performances in the city, but also a part of securing a grand piano for the city. And that enabled many performances of classical music and enabled Music for Galway to invite so many national and international pianists to the city for audiences to enjoy. Now, Jean was the artistic director of Music for Galway for many years before Finian Collins took over that role and Jane stepped back. So very fitting that Music for Galway should commission Jane O'Leary to write a work for piano and orchestra to celebrate the founding of the organisation that's really based on her vision for the development of music in Galway and uh, a celebration of her contribution to music in general in the city. So here is Jane O'Leary in conversation with myself. I've just had a couple of days of rehearsals and it's really exciting to be in the room with you today, um, but to be in the room with the National Symphony Orchestra today. And the piece, it was a commission to commemorate and celebrate Music for Galway's 40th anniversary, which would have been last year, actually, but uh, got pushed forward a year, as lots of things did. So the idea was that it would be for piano and orchestra. And I had free range to use the full orchestra, which was very exciting. And I thought, well, if I'm being offered a chance to write for the full orchestra, yes, I'm going to go for it. It's actually in three movements. And the story of the piece, there is a story, which is not always the case, especially with my music. It tends to be a bit more abstract, but Mm. there is a story um, that kind of evolved as I was working on it. I didn't start out planning to tell a story, but the music just fell into these three 
different kinds of worlds. And I realized that Music for Galway was founded with the idea of buying a piano. In 1981, there was no working piano in the city of Galway. A few of us got together and we said, we have to buy a concert grand piano. And said, well, we're going to raise the money to buy a Steinway grand for the city. And that's how Music for Galway started. We did. We raised the money. We bought the piano. We installed it into the University Aula Maxima, upper floor. And from there, the idea of presenting concerts followed. And here it is 41 years later as a concert promoting organization going strong. So my first movement is, is entitled With Quiet Anticipation. And it's where the dream of a piano kind of emerges from a dream. It's it's very atmospheric and uh, cloudy and like as if we're just dreaming and suddenly this piano appears, little fragments in and out from the, the haze. And that's the piano coming to life. So then we go on. The second movement is um, called With Quiet Persistence. And it's more about the people working together over the years to create all the wonderful activities that take place. And it's, you know, kind of in a constrained pitch area, quite persistent with repeated notes drumming away and just kind of carrying on getting on with this in a, in a nice way. And then the third movement is with joy and it's just a very happy celebratory finale with uh, a bit of lightness and a lot of joy. almost is a, a programmatic work in, in the sense that it tells a story of the organization through its 40 years. Yeah, it's interesting that it ended up that way. I, d <laughs> I didn't intend it when I started, but then I never know what I'm going to end up with when I start writing a piece. And so it's kind of nice. It is, it is in a way. You can take it as a programmatic piece if you want to. How do those sort of ideas, you know, materialize? Is it when you're in the, in the weeds of composition, as it were, or do you just sort of let the ideas kind of, you know, come across your, your horizon, so to speak? Well... It's a good question, Jonathan. It's a hard one to answer. I can never really say quite how I've done a piece when it's finished. I say, ah, that's that. And I look at it again. And I say, how did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's something like when you're in the zone and you're you just start working with material, musical material, and it starts talking to you and telling you what it wants to do. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I get the ideas as I'm working on it. Um, and then I just expand. But they don't come out of the blue. They come out of the essence of the material that yeah. you're working on. Yeah. 
and they push it forward in a certain direction. Yeah. So you're very, you know, you're very much being led by the material. Yeah. And, 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 and the, the material is kind of suggesting. That's right. Go. Yes. And, and it becomes it's 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 very um, mm, unclear as you begin. And uh, and the more you keep at it, the clearer it becomes. And the title itself, Unfolding Soundscapes, a title like that, it gives, it certainly gives me a kind of maybe an idea about how the piece might sound like or how it might develop or, or unfold. Is this something that you do with your works when it comes to, you know, their titles that you're kind of thinking of a title that evokes something of the spirit of the work? I love that question, actually, Jonathan, because the titles, they're really important. I'm very aware of that uh, listeners take that as a starting point and it gives them an idea of what to expect. But no, I don't start with the title at all. I write the music first and somehow then I let the music suggest title. Now, it's really the hardest part. <laughs> People always say to me, OK, you finished the piece. Now the hard part comes finding a title. But yeah, I have to say a friend actually kind of suggested something that put me in this direction. And it's a it's a reference to Tim Robinson's work. Tim was uh, a wonderful artist, member of Estona, an Englishman who uh, moved to Connemara and created amongst other things, these beautiful maps of the region and their works of art. And he published a lot of books and writings um, and was quite legendary as a cartographer artist. He called his work Folding Landscapes. And there were some studies of his work called Unfolding Irish Landscapes. And someone someone referenced this for me and I thought, oh, that that actually connects really well with music. If I change landscapes to soundscapes and I have the idea of journeying over this Connemara landscape, say, unpredictable lights and hills and rivers and so on. Uh, and that's kind of how I see music as a landscape, and as a soundscape. And we're traveling through time you know, with, with, with different sounds accompanying us. So I thought I thought it was a lovely kind of reference unfolding soundscapes. And in terms of your approach to writing for the 
orchestra and and you reminded me just before you started recording that your first orchestral work or the, your first work for what was then the RT National or the RT Symphony Orchestra uh, was in 1992, Islands of Discovery. And that's exactly 30 years ago. Maybe tell me a little bit about your your approach to orchestral writing and how how it fits in with your your work because obviously you're a you're a performer yourself you're a pianist originally as well and we're going to talk a, a little bit about the piano in, 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 uh, shortly but maybe talk to me about that in terms of how you see your approach to writing for orchestra yeah it it's interesting that most of my work compositionally was chamber music. I certainly began my studies um, in America and in Princeton writing chamber music and continued to find that actually the most interesting for me and the most readily able to be performed so that I could learn from the process of writing for smaller groups and dealing directly with the performers. So I found writing for orchestra very difficult to kind of imagine the sounds because we, at that stage we had no opportunities to be up close. I mean, people are quite lucky now. I see all these workshops and sessions with the orchestra and I thought, oh my goodness, they're so lucky. <laughs> I had to just guess <laughs> and hope for the best and it's a terrifying process. You Imagine. go to the first rehearsal and you have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> you only hope and if I come out and say, oh, it actually sounded how I thought it would, I'm really happy. <laughs> you know. But anyway, the process of writing for orchestra I don't know. For me, I, I approached it in the same way as writing for chamber music ensemble. I, I'm very detailed. I'm very meticulous. I'm very conscious of each instrument's part in the total sound world. Um, but I think it has also evolved very much over those 30 years since the Islands of Discovery piece up to this I'm really playing with the orchestra in terms of color mm. and sound. Particularly interesting for me are the harp and the percussion. And then I know that the winds and the brass and all that are all individual players and I treat them like individual mm. uh, chamber music players in the context. But then you've got all these strings, 30 or 40 string players and they're normally all doing the same thing, but that doesn't really interest me. So I try to think, how can I use the string section like a chamber ensemble and give them, each of them, an individual purpose? Yeah. So I have a lot of kind of experimental stuff where there's a certain kind of sound color. They might all be on the same pitch, but they're doing little things to kind of alter it so you get a tremulous murmuring or something without a change of pitch. And I'm playing with a lot of those ideas to create, um, I don't know, each player has a responsibility rather than trying to be all the same. I often say not together and not the same. 
it's almost like traditionally there's a sort of a loss of individuality yeah. in terms of the players and espe- and that's especially the case isn't it in it the has string been sec- you know section. a sort of 19th century that they've all got to be exactly the same yeah i i, I don't like that idea <laughs> i can imagine that and especially when you when you say you come from a chamber music yeah. kind of background and that's what carries you your aesthetic within music you're you're working with small groups of instruments which mm-hmm. are individuals you know correct people. individuals and the special sound that each of them makes is mm. makes the tapestry of sound that results And in terms of the piece, it's for piano and orchestra, as you as you mentioned. So so the soloist, Finine Collins, to what extent did his kind of style of playing or his approach or even his personality influence how you wrote the piece? Well, to be honest, I like to think about the person I'm writing for whenever I write. It's pretty important for me to know who I'm writing for. And what their sound is, what their interests are musically. I viewed the piano in this instance not in the kind of romantic sense of piano concerto, where there's a soloist and there's an orchestra and never the twain shall meet. Um, But they're all in it together. But the piano has a special color which is totally different from any other instrument on the stage. And I highlight that sound. It's in the foreground most of the time. It's it's there on top of everything else. But yes, I was very aware of Finian's personality musically and his pianistic style. And I I hope, think that I, I wrote very well for, for him, that, that he feels comfortable with it too. I mean, the piano is your is your own instrument. It is, I mean, yeah. Would it be true to say that it's your first love in music? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, I can remember being four years of age and and uh, sitting under the upright piano in our house, ancient old upright piano and and just saying, I want to play that. <laughs> <laughs> I made my sister teach me how to play it. And <laughs> So it's always been where my music starts. Um, I've played it all my life. I've played it for over 40 years as a member of Concord. Um, Yeah, I write at the piano. That's where I start Mm -hmm. always for Mm -hmm. whatever instrument I'm writing for. I start at the piano and then I make it whatever it is. A quick look at your works before you came in. You've written, well, we have li- listed here 13 solo piano pieces, uh, the, the earliest one dating from 1974 all the way up 
I, I mean, perhaps there's more, but like presumably, uh, you know, an instrument that you've written the most for uh, as a solo instrument. I think I know it the best because I play it and I've I've pushed it in my own work. As I said, it depends very much who I'm writing for. I've often played my own pieces. When I'm playing, I I try to look at the instrument. I always start with the instrument and see what can I do to create contrasts of sound and color. And I am not shy of delving into the piano and using the fingers on the strings. And I've just experimented and explored. And I absolutely love using um, fingers on the strings. There are so many things you can do. You don't need to, what's called prepared piano is to stick things into the strings. No, you, you can do it with your fingers yeah. <laughs> on the strings. And I've written a lot of those kind of pieces. I knew that Finian doesn't enjoy that. So there was no way I was going to do any of that in this piece. I didn't need to. I had the whole orchestra there to create <laughs> contrasts, you know. Um, but I, I enjoy the piano. And and I know it, you know. Yeah. So I'm comfortable with it. mentioned in, in passing your kind of work list in relation to the pieces that you've written in the past for piano you've been composing for well over 50 years maybe 55 years I mean your, your earliest work is from 1968 what would you say is the most important element in your approach to composing now and has this element always been important to you throughout your composing career yeah, I like that question too. I think my focus has changed. Um, my early training, as you you might know, was at Princeton with very serious 12-tone composition faculty. And the emphasis there was really about pitch relationships. And I was very strongly focused on pitch and interval and that was what mattered for a long time. But it has changed a lot, uh, hugely over the years. And my main interest is in the color of the sound, which some people may say, what does she mean by that? <laughs> but um, the actual different kinds of sound well, in an orchestra, between the different instruments, but within a single instrument, all the kind of tones and timbres, for example, with a string instrument, you can get by positioning the bow or, um, you know, the way you use the bow, the fingers. There, there are thousands of different sounds <laughs> possible in a single note, you know, mm -hmm. and that's... That's what interests me in creating a kind of beautiful soundscape. That's my primary aim and, and a, a sculptural feel to the music. Mm. It, it, it has a shape 
sound-wise. Mm. So I'd like you to get goosebumps when you're listening and sort of say, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> and to mean it, not not just to say it, but, yeah. <laughs> but to get a response to the sounds that you're hearing and, and get pleasure out of it. Mm. It is that, I, I still think that that's one of the most extraordinary things about music. Um, when we hear something, and mm. we get those goosebumps and we get those yeah. kind of hair, you know, the hair amazing, sound back, it? back in your neck. It is amazing, isn't it? It doesn't happen too often, but but when it does, it's, oh, mm. you wonder, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> and is that something that gives you most pleasure um, as as a composer when the audience or the musicians that are playing the music come up to you and, and, and kind of say things like that to you? Or uh, that, yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that if somebody gets a real response and the, and they tell me and, you know, they maybe have a personal reaction and, or some something they think about when they're listening. You know, everyone hears something different. I don't know what you hear. <laughs> I know what I hear. <laughs> but I, I do. I love that. It kind of gives it a reason for being there. Yeah, you have to connect. Right? That that's That's the pleasure of... Writing music, it's a slow process. You you work through a performance and then you have an audience and the final connection is when the audience hears it and, and they relay their feelings back to you and everything goes full circle. And it's wonderful. Jane O'Leary. That's all for this week. We'll be back with more conversations with composers and musicians in another few weeks. Editing for this episode is by Keith Fennell. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, consider giving us a review as this helps us reach new listeners. Thanks for listening.